Hello and welcome to Searching Inward, a podcast brought to you by Restore Small Groups. In this first episode, we sit down and talk with the founder of Restore Small Groups, Scott Reel, about his own personal journey of pain, hope, healing, and everything in between. So without further ado, here is episode one, The Journey of Scott Reel. Well, Scott, thanks so much for sitting down. I know we've talked about um, doing a podcast for a while, and I am just overjoyed that we're finally sitting down to talk. And on the very first episode, unfortunately, I know that you're not going to be a fan of this, but we have to talk about you because, (laughs) um, you know, when any time someone gets in this type of work, whether they're trying to address mental health or they're trying to bring healing into the world, it does usually come from their own personal experience of recovery and healing. So I can't think of a better place to start than to really start with your own journey um, and your past and moving through some of the things that you've had to move through personally. So my story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I guess it, as it does with most people, it begins in my childhood. Mm. Um, you know, by all observations, I came from a very healthy family, my mom and dad, Never divorced. My dad was a high school coach. Um, we lived in a little middle-class neighborhood in Columbus, Ohio, which uh, every house was the exact same design and mm-hmm. about that far apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, we had some struggles um, that uh, affected me. But, they, you know, it's interesting. You would say they were not huge issues. But they definitely affected me. And what I noticed in my childhood was uh, a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't know then, but kind of a mild depression. Um, and, just, and I was a very sensitive kid. Um, and back then, uh, they didn't know what ADH, you know, attention deficit disorder. Right. They just said you're, I was very hyperactive. Mm-hmm. But school sitting still <laughs> was, mm-hmm. was very difficult. And so what, what I realized in looking back on my whole life, what entered my childhood, mm-hmm. which has had the most profound effect on my life, was shame. Mm-hmm. I struggled with shame about in, in school because I couldn't sit still, mm-hmm. couldn't focus, which made learning very difficult. But it's interesting, the one thing that I was gifted at was reading, mm-hmm. which ends up being what God has used for my life. Mm. But I mean, other than reading, I could not focus on mm. anything. But I was great in athletics. I was very fast. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so sports became the one place where um, I felt secure. Mm. Yet, in that era, the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, a lot of the coaches still used shame as a tactic. Mm. Um, so... What was predominant in my childhood was fear and shame. And then I, um, I discovered some magazines that my dad had had hidden. Mm. And then lust also entered my life. And when I went through the 12 steps, I found that those were my three core character defects, shame, mm. fear, and lust. And those affected me immensely. And then when I was 15 years old, my, fa- my family split up a little bit. And um, but then they moved back together, and we moved. And so I had to leave the home that I grew up in, and, the, and all my friends in the neighborhood. Uh, so my first year of high school was at a whole new place. Oh man, that's tough. And um, I wanted to fit in, and again, being insecure, 
Um, I got in a car one night with a couple of guys who were drinking and um, we got in a really horrible car accident. Mm. And uh, first time I ever drank. Wow. And um, it threw me through the windshield and it kind of flipped over on top of me, the car, and it crushed my head mm. and face into the pavement. Um, and just literally ripped my, this is kind of telling, but it, my nose and my cheek and my eye were just kind of almost ripped completely wow. off. And I was trapped mm. under that car. I couldn't get out. And it never knocked me out. So the trauma mm. of that was immense. And that incident, that incident ends up having a profound effect on my, my whole life. Um, because vulnerability, fear, mortality, all that, I thought I was dying. I can imagine. And what was so horrible was I was couldn't move, mm. and the blood was so deep I couldn't breathe because mm. the pool of blood was so. And uh, and so I just remember said this is it, and yeah. and I was just so devastated that my life was ending right here. Mm. Uh, and I just remember very sad. I, I mean that's the one wow. memory I have of just being so profoundly sad wow. and ashamed mm. that this is how my life wow. was ending at 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 15. Mm. Um, but obviously, I live. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully. Were, well, I mean, it sounds yeah. like you were conscious. A lot of times when people are in accidents, they go unconscious. But that, that must have been, not only can you not, you're trapped, you can't move, you're conscious, can't you're thinking, breathe. can't breathe, can't you're thinking breathe. about your life. Yep. Goodness, that I can't imagine. And, and what happens is that um, the... By being conscious through the whole thing, the, the memories are like just, oh, man. they're just ingrained, deeply embedded. And uh, I, uh, I could not, I healed physically, but I did not heal mentally and emotionally. And my family was, didn't know what to do with all that, so we never talked about it. Oh, I never talked to anybody. Mm. But it was always not far yeah. beneath the surface. Mm. And then that led to um, just a deepening of my struggles with anxiety and depression. And then the next thing I know, I go off to college to play sports, um, and it's still there, but I'm managing it all alone. Again, I have never talked to anybody. And then one night in my, after my, in my sophomore year of high school, I mean sophomore year of college, 1974, um, and it's the end of February, almost the last week, um, or the first week of March, was about that time, I had a major bout of depression, anxiety, and it just knocked the feet right out from underneath me. And so I turned to different ways to medicate it, to manage it on my own. Again, never talked to anybody about it, just suffering in silence. Right. And just was a perfect fertile soil for my addictions, but the addictions were just a symptom of the deeper underlying wounds that had never been healed, uh, the traumas. And there's all kinds of traumas. There's large and small, and, and whatever mine was, medium, it was still there. Um, and so I, I go into my adult life with that. Wow. Um, graduated from college, again, never talked to anybody, uh, and proceeded to get married, and the person who marries me has no idea that this guy's got all this stuff. Right. Right. And it's just like, uh, it's like a sleeping giant. It's going to awaken. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
So fast forward, I struggle with it on and off all through my early adult life. And then when I was 33, a miracle happens. I get hired by the YMCA of Middle Tennessee. I joke about this. Um, <laughs> I was always, I love to play basketball, so I was always playing pickup basketball at the Y. Yeah. But I was sneaking in. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you didn't so have a membership. The staff there came to me one day saying, look, quit sneaking in. We, we got a job here we, we might be interested in. Yeah. And I said, you're kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so not only do they get busted for sneaking in, they hire me. Yeah. They're and like, so, we can, if, if you're employed, we can gladly help you pay for this membership. Or you get it for free, I guess, if you work there, maybe. So they hire me. And if you would have met that guy mm. in 1988, you would have met a very nice man, mm. very physically fit man. Mm very kind, uh, seeming like I had it all together, but underneath the surface, mm. hidden from everyone, I was struggling in my human condition. Mm. And a few years went by, and then uh, I'm working as a wellness director, um, and it came again, another bout mm. of depression, anxiety. Around what age? I would have been, that would have been around 1990, um, probably 92, 93. Okay. And so I would have been in my mid-30s. Okay. And, um, and I struggled, and I didn't think I was going to be able to keep my job or anything. And it just affected my life. And so then my addictions reared their ugly head again. And so um, what happened was this was the beginning of everything. Um, I um, I'd hired a guy to work for me in the wellness center. He was a pastor. Mm. And he was starting a church in Nashville. I think he was just looking for a place to recruit <laughs> yeah. members for his church because the Y was full of yeah, right. people, yeah. thousands of people. So really, it was pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. But he loved to work out. And so I hired him, and he and I became really good friends. And so he was the first human being mm. my whole life that I confided my wow. secrets. The first one at 30. Oh, late thirties. Yeah. Late thirties, the first person that you were able to talk to. Wow. And um, this would have been probably I might have been in my forties, early okay. early forties. And um, I have never told anybody this stuff. Mm. And you know, as they say, we're only as sick as our secrets. And so mm. um, I shared with him. And and what he did was profound. It changed the whole course of my life. He didn't tell me what to do. He didn't try to fix me. He just gave me a book. Wow. And the book was called Power to Choose, written by a man here in Nashville, Mike O'Neill. And it was the original 12 steps with Christ. Well, I had wow. heard of the 12 steps, but I didn't, I couldn't name one of them. Right. I just had heard of them vaguely, but didn't know anything about them. But I read that book, um, and um, it suggested two, it did two things. Number one, it, it, it introduces you to Christ mm. as a Savior with the power and grace to transform your life. So I get introduced to Christ at a very deep, intimate level. Mm. And that would be one other thing. In my childhood, my family didn't go to church, mm. but I did. For whatever reason, I had this, other than to see pretty girls that were going to church. <laughs> That's just a byproduct. Just a yeah. byproduct. i got to be honest about that. <laughs> and there was a basketball court in the church. Yeah. Those two things. But I was intrigued and interested and was drawn to Christ. Even then, I would walk on Sundays by myself to church. Wow. Uh, Lyndon Lutheran, a little tiny Lutheran church in mm. the north side of Columbus. Um, so um, I'm at the Y now. That, that's in my past. I have these struggles. 
He gives me this book. It introduces me to Christ. But also the 12-step process is introduced to me, and it, it, it recommends you go through it as in a small group. Mm. So Christ, a process with Christ right, in a community. And that part probably struck you as extremely overwhelming because as a reader, I'm a, I'm a fellow reader. I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this podcast are readers. You're still doing that alone. So I love to read books and get in, you know, and, and, and saturate that. But that step into which you've only talked to one person so far, the pastor about your experiences to then have someone say, this is a good book. But now the next step is to, to go and see some be around a group of people. That must have been terrifying. Yeah, because I am a introvert, yeah. shy introvert, mm-hmm. deeply shy, mm-hmm. uh, have been my whole life. And so that was going to be a very awkward. But so here's what happened. Um, my job as a senior wellness director at the Y was to assess people's fitness level. Mm. And then they would meet with me. Then based on their results, I would get their goals from them. And we would discuss an exercise prescription for them to meet those goals. Mm. So I'm doing these fitness assessments one-on-one with new members every day, every day. In this, in this one woman, uh, I took her through the test. Uh, she joined the Y because she had gained weight. Mm. And um, so she gained like 20 pounds in a year, and she was out of shape. And so she joins the Y to get in shape, mm. to lose weight. And so I ran her through the test, and at the end of it, I asked this one question I ask everyone, anything precipitated your weight gain? And she starts to cry. She gets tears in her eyes, and she tells me that a year ago her husband had passed away. Mm. And right then and there I knew I could give her the best exercise program in the world, the best diet, the most nutrition, but it would not impact why she was using food. She had a hole in her soul just like I did. She filled hers with food. I filled mine with my drugs of choice. Mm. We both were in need of spiritual and emotional healing. Mm. And right then and there, I was looking, I remember the Y has, their logo is, they change lives in spirit, mind, and body, the triangle of the Y. And we didn't do anything spiritually. Mm. We didn't do anything emotionally. It, it was all physical. And I was like, that's it. This is the answer. Wow. There's got to be thousands of people in this building that are having this need. And so um, I said, we need to be intentional about providing a spiritual place yeah. and in a place for emotional and spiritual healing. And so I went to my director, and I had no idea what he would say. I said, I really want to start offering these 12-step groups here at the Y. Wow. Because I thought everybody on the planet needed to go through this process. Right. Because we all have these struggles at some level. But I was a novice to all this. I didn't know anything. So I just, so he said yes. So I started facilitating those groups. And the miracle was they kept growing. People found out about them across the city. Wow. And they just started pouring in. And uh, the, the National YMCA had a, an award back in those days. I don't, they, they may still, it's called the Armstrong Award. Mm. And I got nominated for it for the spiritual work that I was doing with those those groups, and I got a letter one day. I won. Wow! And I got a scholarship to go to seminary, and so I um, I applied to Covenant Pre- Seminary in St. Louis, and they had an extension here in Nashville, and I got in. Wow! That's probably the greatest miracle. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back at it, that one. <laughs> I, mean, that, I didn't think there's any way, but there were some ministers in Nashville who advocated for me, and I think wow. that really. Um, and, but 
it's interesting. This is all a journey. Mm. So when I, I'm in seminary, I'm learning about how Christ transforms lives. And just I learned about how we become attached. It was just and then apologetics, mm. everything that was so appealing to me. God was shaping me. And, and that's when um, right at that time, um, I found a, a lot of people bring books and things, magazines, stuff to read while they work out. Right. Well, somebody had left this little book. And again, there are no coincidences, right. but it was a little, um, it's put out by the Upper Room, which is the um, United Methodist publishing little oh, yeah, okay. here in, in, actually it's in Nashville. And it and just had on it, the cover was Addictions. And wow. I was like, wow, I would be perfect for me to look at. <laughs> and it was just a little thing. So it just had little excerpts of, of some books and things. And I opened that book, I mean, that little reading reader. And it, it's um, the first article is from Dr. Gerald May, who mm. wrote the book Addiction and Grace. Mm. And I read it, and he's making a statement that every human being in their human condition is basically attached or addicted to something. Everybody. Mm-hmm. He says to be human is to be addicted in need of grace. Wow. And so, so I buy that book immediately, Addictions and Grace, and start reading it. And it becomes the foundation for everything from my understanding. And then I flip the next page in that little reader, and it was an article by Richard Rohr wow. from Breathing Underwater, The 12 Steps of Spirituality. And he is saying that there is a hole in everyone's soul. And he, how did he say it? Um, there's only spirit, it can only be answered by a spiritual answer. Wow. And, and May saying the same thing. I'm like, I'm on the right track. <laughs> and so I get. Like little breadcrumbs are being given to you yes. for all this. Yeah. And again, remember, the one thing I can do is read. Right. So I start reading. Everything Richard mm. Rohr has written, I read. Everything Gerald May has written, I find Thomas Merton, um, mm. and I, you know, I just start reading and reading, and reading, and um, this whole, and I don't know, but all these years of doing this reading and studying is because I'm passionate about this, right? Because I need it, yes, and I want to give it away. Mm. Those are the two things that are driving the whole thing, and so um, that kept the groups kept growing. I, I finished. Um, you know, the seminary thing is going on, and um, I think, okay, um, we're restoring lives. Mm. So here's what happened. I'm walking at my son's high school. He went to Brentwood Academy here in Nashville, which is a Christian high school, and it was Spiritual Emphasis Week. Mm. And so I went, I was walking down the hallway of his high school to pick him up one day, and they had on the wall... Uh, they had taken Michelangelo's painting of uh, God touching Adam, the two, yeah. the two hands, which mm-hmm. is so famous. And I looked at that, and immediately, I mean, it's as clear as I've ever heard God's voice or felt his spirit. But it, I was like, yes, that is what is happening. Wow. You are reaching into our human condition as you'd have mine, mm. and you've touched me and pulled me close to you to transform my life. That's it. Mm. You rest, you're restoring my life. And right then the words, restore ministries of wow. the YMCA came. And so I started thinking about that. Now, I, this is my 10th my year as a senior wellness director. And um, 
And I don't know, and I am introverted, shy. Right. I can't type. I, you know, I mean, I'm, and I don't know what, but I thought I got to do this. Wow. And so I went to the, I talked to the CEO, Clark Baker, and I said, I really would like to do this ministry full time at the Y. I think we could really grow it. And so he sets up a meeting in the Bat Building. The oh yeah, the AT and T Building, the AT and T Building downtown. And um, I think it was Bell South back then. But at the top of that building, at the very top of that building, was a boardroom. Mm. And so he sets up a meeting with these board members of the YMCA Middle Tennessee in the top of that Bat Building. <laughs> A, a perfect place for an introvert to make a presentation. Just, <laughs> I mean, I remember sitting in that, and it's all windows. You can see, I mean, it's like you can see mm. all across the state of Tennessee. It's so high up. Because mm. um, then it was a tallest building in Nashville. Mm. And um, I remember waiting for them to come in. I'm, I'm terrified because this is not what I do. Right. And I looked at that window and felt like God saying, this is how far I've brought you. Wow. Since I touched you mm. and we're going to go further. Mm. Trust me. And I did. I made a presentation to those guys, uh, those people, and I, they, they said, yes, we want you to do it. Wow. And so in the year 2000, we started re- Restore Ministries of the YMCA Middle Tennessee as a full time. Wow. And, uh, and our goal was to just build those groups. Wow. And, um, and then the, the the break that so it was so difficult to get people to mm-hmm. come to yeah. these groups, um, but they're trickling in. But then I got the second miracle was um, there's a large church in uh, on the other side of Brentwood in Nashville called Fellowship Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Schulte and Jeff, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on Jeff's last name. Um, Jeff Shelton, and they. Um, they were looking for a program to help w- with their members to provide a, um, a place where the body could heal the body, mm. small groups. And so they said, we'd love you to come down here and do this in our building. Wow. And so we did that. And um, the groups, just th- their members started pouring in because they were telling them to come. Right. You know, that this is here. And, and that's, that's really without that, Church, bring us in. I don't know if we would have made it, but it, all through the we're all, we're in our twenty first year now. Wow, there's been something like that that or God did for us what we cannot do for ourselves, mm. and so we started to really grow. And then uh, you can see in my office there, um, the Tennessean did a story on us. Oh wow! And put us on the front page. Wow! Uh, and the work that we were doing. And then the phones just started ringing, <laughs> ringing. and then um, we we then we started hiring area coordinators. And before you know it, it was a thriving wow. ministry in Middle Tennessee. People were pouring into our groups, and then the last, not the last, but probably the most significant miracle of all, um, it would have been um, about seventeen years ago, eighteen years ago. Um, I got a phone call from a publisher, Thomas Nelson Publishers, mm. which at, at that time was the largest Christian publisher in the world. I was going to say it's a big, that's a big, that's not like your mom and pop that's heard about you that has never released a book and they're going to take a chance on you. This is a, 
This is a massive publisher. I mean, they're worldwide. They're yeah. the largest publisher in the United States. Now they're a part of HarperCollins, which is a gigantic publishing. Mm. And, um, and they called me and they said, we want to talk to you. And, and I, I joke about this, but um, I'm thinking, do I owe you money? You know, <laughs> um, because I owed a lot of people money from, yeah. from my struggles. Mm. And uh, they said, no, you don't owe us no money. We want to talk to you about writing a book. <laughs> and I go, I laugh. I go, no, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> I don't write. I can't sit still. Right. I can't type. You know, and um, and what had happened was that um, we had a lot of women go through our groups at that time who cut. Mm, yeah. And one of them had got into healing, and uh, she knew a, a friend of hers from Belmont University was an editor at uh, Thomas Nelson, Rebecca Whitlock. And uh, she had told her about me, so Rebecca thought this would be a great project for their, for them to publish. And so they pursued me, interviewed me, and interviewed me, and I went to their headquarters, which is massive, mm. and I was so intimidated. And I was just like, this has to be God because I can't, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is so far out of my league. Right. It's not something, and what's funny about what's woven through this story is this consistent thing where you're like, there's this is the last thing that I think I could do or would do. And it ends up being the very thing that kind of is like, it just falls into place without you. Cause so many people talk about having 10 year goals, five year goals, but it seems like restore story is these miracles that you didn't plan for and feel unqualified for as they're approaching you to be an author. You're like, I'm, I'm not a writer. I mean, that's a, the, you're right. I mean, the whole thing is so far beyond my comfort zone mm. and what I was ever, ever, ever imagined that I would want to or even consider doing I never would. Right. And God's got me. And when you got to remember, I'm petrified of public speaking. Right. And this comes with the territory. Um, funny story about that public speaking. It, when it was apparent that I had to do a lot of it, um, and I mean, I'm the kind of guy who would throw up mm. at the thought not be able to sleep for a week. Right. Knowing I'd have to talk for two minutes mm -hmm. in front of a group of people. Mm -hmm. But Clark Baker, who was the CEO that hired me, his wife, Caroline, she taught speech. She worked with people helping with speech. Oh, wow. And she worked with me one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. to help me overcome my... She didn't help me overcome my fear of speaking. She helped me use my fear of speaking. Oh, wow. And to use the passion. But... Um, I, I, without the two of them, I don't, nothing, we would not be here today. Right. So it just seemed, but my point is that God seemed to make a way mm. for everything. Mm. And you're in the publishing, um, you go to the, this, this big meeting at this big corporate office, very reminiscent of the first time you had a big meeting in a big corporate office, and, and tell us a little bit about that, how that meeting went and everything that followed. Well, what they did, Jake, is they, they, um, they know you're not a writer, mm. but what they believe is that they can extract the, the creative content from you mm. and get it into a written form. Mm. So they hire writers and they put a team of editors. I mean, they work with you. I mean, they, they but you still, at the end of the day, yeah. you must come up with the content. Mm. They're all waiting. Mm. Okay. <laughs> no pressure. Oh, my God. I lost like 10 pounds. Oh, my gosh. I could not sleep. And um, another thing kind of funny, but they give you an advance mm. when they sign the contract. So you sign a contract. I mean, this is legal. I had to get an attorney. Yeah. And so we sign a contract. They give you the advance. 
Then they give you a page count, a word count, Ooh. a chapter count, deadlines. They got all these people waiting. Go. Mm. And I'm like, I don't have any idea what to write about. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have no, I, I, had, I wasn't thinking about, oh, I got this book in my mind. Right. I'm nothing. Yeah. And, I, and I'm just, <laughs> oh, it was awful. And I'm trying to write it by hand. Mm. And um, I'm, try, I'm editing it as I'm trying to write it. And, and nothing is working. Nothing is working. And I put the money in a savings account because I was convinced I was going to have to give it back because mm. I was not going to be able to <laughs> to come through with this. Right. And they and I was getting so far into the deadlines, and I was like, "Okay, Lord, it's over. Mm. I can't do this. If you don't show up mm. and have a miracle, this thing's over." And um, that night at one of my groups, a lady came up to me after group and said. This ministry has saved my life. Is there anything I can do to give back? And I don't know why I said this. I kind of joke. I said, any chance you'd type for me, would you? And she said, yes. And she worked at a bank. And she met me at my office like at 5.30 every morning. Wow. And I dictated to her. And then God inspired this vision for um, I have been reading Dr. James Pachaska's <clears throat> work okay. on Changing for Good and his theory of change, mm. pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, and maintenance, that everyone who's trying to attempt to change any aspect of their life is very similar to the grief. You go through stages, mm. you know, and you can't skip over them. I you, see, you, yeah. It's, it's methodical. It's, it's sequential. And so um, I thought, wow, that's what we need. We need a place where people can enter into change mm. and prepare to change. Because that's what Prochaska was, was saying. The number one reason that people stay in contemplation, which is the main stage, that's a person who is, I know I need to change, but they never do. Mm. That's the vast, I think he's predicted it's over almost 80-some percent of the population. Say, it's got to be, yeah. We're always, we know we're aware, but we do not have the commitment mm. to do the work. Mm. So we remain where we are. And the number one reason he said that people remain in contemplation is fear, mm. fear of the unknown. Mm. And so I was reading that. And I said, that's it. It's a journey to be set free. And, and Prochaska said that the most important aspect of change that is overlooked is the preparatory work, mm. preparing to change, that you must lay a foundation where you are Physically, spiritually, and mentally, all in mm. to embracing change. Mm. What he would refer to, and that's where I learned the phrase intrinsic motivation. He said there's two types of motivation, intrinsic and extrinsic. Mm. And extrinsic is what I see all the time, external pressure, consequences. And so we're struggling, and we're in some kind of pain, so we say, okay, yeah, I want to change. But we're not really committed. We just want to get out of the discomfort. Mm. So we so we move towards change, and that's why it never sustains. Mm. They say that once the external pressure is removed, we go right back to our prior behaviors. And so what he says, it would, for change to be sustainable, it must be intrinsically motivated. Mm. And intrinsic motivation is, it's not that I have to change, it's that I want to change. Mm. And so that was the vision. Journey to Freedom, I wrote, to be that big first step, that gentle step that's progressive into uh, changing our lives with, with God. And um, 
Prochaska advocated two major change processes that I adapted to the book. One is self-awareness. Mm. Uh, it's interesting, uh, Dr. Gerald Main in Dictions of Grace said years ago that there can be no transformation without awareness. Mm. Awareness is the foundation. And he says for there to be real awareness, you have to go into what they call spaciousness, which is where you let down your attachments and you go with God and you really, really examine mm. your life and mm. see what's in that human condition. Um, and it's and that's what we believe that anyone would benefit. Who would not mm. from that process of just you and God taking a moment and having a very intimate examination of your life so that you can become aware mm. and see these are the things that are holding me back. These are the places I'm stuck or even addicted mm. uh, or attached. And so um, that's what journey. So that's the first process. And then right. the second is supportive relationships. Mm. Our whole ministry is built on that premise that it's impossible to change alone. Mm. It is. It just is. You, the way that God designed our brains, our minds, the way we are, we must have what we would call a healing community. And since then, um, I read Anatomy of the Soul by Dr. Kurt Thompson mm -hmm. in his follow-up book to that, The Soul of Shame. And you see, uh, Thompson says there's no greater need for any human being than to be fully known. Mm. And th there's no way that I can have the awareness of what I need to see that needs to grow and change me without those supportive relationships, mm. what we would call a healing community. Now, that's different than just me going up to anybody and telling them my story. Right. Because some people would harm me with mm. that information. Mm. But somebody who has empathy, mm. Um, and it is interesting what we've learned about empathy, uh, Jake, is that um, they say that only those who have done the inner work have the ability, the capability to have empathy. Wow. If you don't do the inner work, you don't have the ability to have empathy. Wow. So if I get in front of somebody who doesn't have empathy, mm. which is a huge problem in our society right. worldwide, right. I'm going to get wounded, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just not going to share. Right. I'll I'm going to shut down. I'll just right. shut down. And what we all have become so good at is hiding, mm. isolation, and being disconnected. We have relationships, but they have no depth. Mm. They have no ability to transform our lives. Um, and so, again, I'm learning things years after I wrote Journey of Freedom, that looking back what God created. And also in that book, Anatomy of Soul, Dr. Thompson said that there's um, that we need what he calls a secure attachment. Mm. He says, matter of fact, the first thing when a baby is born, they come into the world searching for who's searching for them. And then throughout our lives, we're searching for that relationship mm. that can be so secure and founded. Many, many people, thousands of people over the years have come to our groups. The group becomes the first secure attachment they've ever had. Mm. And to me, what a secure attachment is, it has empathy it has grace, but it provides boundaries. And what it does is what we call the divine mirroring. It reflects back to you mm. what you cannot see if you're in isolation and alone. That's why isolation and being disconnected and being alone is so dangerous. Mm. Um, and it is interesting that they have found that loneliness is an epidemic in the United States. And with the growth of social media and all that stuff, it actually exasperates isolation and loneliness. Mm. It's a lot of chatter. But there's no intimacy. Right. 
The definition of intimacy is into me you see. Mm -hmm. So this again, what Thompson's saying is fully being known, becoming aware, and that's what has to happen. So Journey to Freedom was written for that. Um, it helps move people towards that, that awakening mm -hmm. that and hopefully they become intrinsically motivated. At the end of Journey to Freedom, I created a template where you write your personal plan of action. Mm. Um, without a plan of action, without specific, you know, without specific goals and specific action steps, it's just wishes. Right. You know, we're just we're still going to wander and drift from stuff to stuff. Mm. So, <clears throat> people, and there's something about behavior modification that we know that when a person verbally says what they're going to do. So at the end of our journey of freedom, you have written your plan of action and then you share your plan of action publicly. So a written plan, public announcement, these are two huge things. And then the third thing is what like Patrick Carnes says, Dr. Carnes, he says the single most important aspect of recovery, and I believe you could ad adapt this to life period, he says is the ability to build healthy, supportive relationships. Mm. We are only as healthy as the relationships that we have, if, wow. you, if you want to be truthful. Man, that's powerful. And I was, you know, listening as you were talking about um, all of these books that you've read that you didn't maybe know at the time that you were reading for a purpose, they were speaking to you, yes. now come and influence so much of what you've put into the design and everything that you're doing. And that was one of the questions I was going to ask is, you know, what are some of the, even today, you know, flash forward, I know that you're in the process of writing uh, a new book. So what, what has been some of the most inspirational people in your life, whether they're writers? A lot of times we have pastors that live uh, across the country or across the globe. What are some of the influencers that have shaped you as a, as a writer and just as a human spiritual being on this earth? Well, goodness. Um, well, I'll just name them, some of them, but um, Brad Shaw's Healing the Shame and Bind You mm. um, introduced me to the concept of toxic shame uh, when shame is transformed into our identity. Um, it's not so much, it's not that I did a bad thing, it's that I am a bad mm. person. It's not that I made a mistake, it's that I am a mistake. Mm. Shame, um, and then when I read Thompson's The Soul of Shame, he took shame, which I believe is the most destructive force in the universe mm. um, because it limits us. We res it restricts us. We cease to expand into our full creative potential that God created us for. Mm. We basically stop living. Mm. We stop growing. Once we stop growing, Jake, it's just not good. Mm. And, and that's why I don't, I will never retire. I'm going to be growing and using to the last breath. Right. But, um, Thompson's book, Anatomy of the Soul and the Soul of Shame, he introduced just how important it is that we are known, but especially, and here's, I want to share one of the things he said, and I went and heard him speak at Lipscomb University a couple years ago. He says this, this is profound, and again, remember, secure attachment, mm. divine marrying, how important that is, that it reflects what we can't see about ourselves. He said that when a person in with empathetic listeners, shares their story. The neuroplasticity of the brain, the neural pathways, actually it's transformed how they remember their story. Wow. But here was a kicker. He said, but even the listeners' stories 
are transformed wow. from listening. So that's how important. Um, Thompson said that they now know that the way that God made our brains, it won't work mm. in isolation. We were created for intimacy through relationships. Mm. You know, you think about that. Go all the way and read, read Genesis. Mm. We will make man in our image. Mm. I mean, it's relational, the Trinity. Um, and I heard uh, um, Richard Ward say something about that. The atom, mm. the atom, mm. you know, it has, the, right. you know, it's, it has three. <laughs> it's know? everywhere. And, and every living thing is made of atoms. Mm. It's where it's all connected. So, um, so the idea of, I'm going to be really bold here. If listeners remember one thing I say today, this is what I want them to hear. Yeah. I don't think there's a greater need in our world right now in the state of our world mm. than to get into a healing community, mm. a place where you can be fully known mm. and to save your life. And Brene Brown says, wherever you can find those groups, those, that community, she says, run mm. to them. Mm. Get, find them. Because it really is, to me, the difference between life and death. And social media is not a healing community. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. And... Especially now, and I think we're all seeing that where um, maybe maybe some of us have been using it to find some sort of connection, but now it seems like um, it's just a, a, a dangerous place to even go with all of the polarizing opinions. So now you've lost whatever community you may have thought you had. So I know that's got to be confusing, especially during this pandemic Zoom kind of thing that's been going on for the past year. I mean, it's got to be rampant right now. Yeah, and there's been a lot written. I read a... Um uh, a research article that they did that said that loneliness was an epidemic in, in, in the United States and it was talking about it. And it said at the end that what they found was it's not the quantity of relationships. It's the quality of relationships mm. that give us life mm. and the quality relationships. The hard stuff is discussed. Mm. And then it also said at the end of that, that they found that at the end of the day, a human being needs to believe that they belong to something greater than just themselves. Mm. Um, and so uh, that um, is, well, so where am I going with that here? So it's important, the most important thing is that you find a place yeah. where you can be known. Um, and to save, I, I really believe it's the difference between saving our lives. You can remain alive in this world, right? but not be alive. Mm. You know, and just lead a slow death. You know, they say the people who fear death... Um, are the ones who have deep regrets that they did not live their lives. Mm. And it was lacking in love and connection. Mm. The people who are not afraid of death have found that in their lifetime. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do by building these small groups. So Dr. Thompson's books, Bradshaw's, um, but also the, just the concept of neuroplasticity and right. neuropathways. Right. Um, when, I, when I read that, Thompson was talking about. Then I started. I read. I read Dr. Caroline Leaf's material mm. on that. But that the brain is the only organ in the body that, throughout our lifetime, renews itself. Wow! New neurons every day. Neurogenesis. It's called. Um, it's like the verse. God's mercies are new every wow. every morning. And so, at any time in our life, our brain has the ability to trans be transformed, mm. to think differently, to feel differently. And they say, so the good news is it's, it, this can happen. You can change the way you think, 
change your paradigm, change how you see yourself in life, and the brain will be rewired. Mm. He say that uh, neurons that fire together, wire together. Mm. But the bad news is, if you keep thinking and doing the same things, it just makes those neural pathways more intrinsic. So it's more, just more emphasis, I think, or more proof that now, right now, today, if you're listening to this podcast, get into a process of changing your life through being fully known. So Bradshaw's materials, um, Thompson's material, obviously everything Dr. Gerald May wrote, especially Addiction to Grace, The Awakened Heart, um, Dark Night of the Soul. Um, and then all, everything I've read everything Richard Rohr has written uh, just from his, his work with the 12 Steps and Breathing Underwater to the Universal Christ and everything in between, um, just... Um, he introduced me to the concept of contemplation. Mm. And then through him, I found Dr. Father Keating, all his work on contemplation, centering prayer, um, which is all around making space for God, mm. um, which is a phrase that I did not know 20-some years ago, but now I use it all the time. Small groups, Jake, if the way that we do them builds what we call sacred space. Mm. It's where we can truly connect to God just as we are, just as we are. No matter how, what I believe about God, what I've done, where I've been, it does, just creating that space where God... So we're not trying to inform people mm. on what they should believe. What we're doing is we're creating space where they can be transformed mm. by an encounter mm with the divine, mm. which is available for everyone. Well, and I think that that's um, something that I know that you are very passionate about is, and it's in that contemplation stage you were mentioning earlier in the change process where um, experience is, is uh, that's where you, when you start to experience that divine presence, when you start to experience a small group, instead of thinking about it and knowing that it's good for you, it's in that experience that the transformation seems to really yes. take off. And so um, just to close out, you know, I know you actually answered one of my questions earlier with what would you tell someone or maybe even what would you tell yourself early on in your life if you knew now what, um, if you knew then what you know now. And it sounds like the, the overwhelming message <clears throat> would be to get into a healing community because and also I, I, I want to echo that there is this beautiful part of the fact that you were so isolated for so long that it ended up being the very thing that is um, that brought together um, all of these other communities that now are the opposite of that. So it's just this beautiful way that God has worked through you to where he took your story of being alone. And you know from personal experience, if anybody's listening to this podcast and, and they listen to you on the first half of this, that's most of us. Most of us. We didn't maybe didn't have a traumatic car car wreck, but I found my own story in your story just by sharing mm -hmm. the alone the aloneness, especially with what we've all gone through in the past year. So, I guess that would be one of my my last questions. Would be, you know, what would you tell someone that's starting out on this journey that's not necessarily um, hasn't been as well read or whatever else? But what would you what would you speak to them? Well. It's, I think it's the same thing. Several years ago, I got to speak to some heads of universities mm. because I'm like, you know, our society is built on knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's a transactional, consumer-driven society. It's all about getting things, building my career, becoming, you know, 
you know, it's just, it's, there's just no place where there's, especially early in our lives and then later in lives, even, even where we can experience that sacred space mm. of being fully known and becoming aware of, of areas that I'm struggling because we all have struggles in our human condition. I mean, it's just impossible to live. There's suffering in this life. And so we, we suffer alone. We struggle alone. And then before you know it, it's manifesting itself in so many dysfunctional mm. ways. Mm. Uh, even though I may be outwardly successful, inwardly I can be in totally dysfunctional mm. and alone. Mm. And so what I would recommend is that as early in life as you can get into this process, get into it, and no matter how late you are in life, get into this process and everybody in between, it will transform your life. It's impossible that it won't. Mm. It won't. And the other thing I, I share, that probably I, I say this a lot recently, in the almost 30 years of doing small groups, I've worked in prisons mm. with people who have murdered people. And then the next day I'm at a church leading a church staff. Mm pastors and their staff. I mean, worked with women with breast cancer. I've worked with youth. I've worked with school teachers. I've worked with un, unemployed. I've worked mm. with the homeless. I, I mean, the full gamut of the human population. Mm. And there's no difference mm. in the human condition. Lonely, insecure, longing to find why they're here, struggling with certain things. Consequences and environments are different, and choices have been different, but the core human condition struggles. I just want to be loved, and I want to know there's a meaning and purpose for me being on this planet. Mm. They all are longing for that. Mm. That's beautiful. Well, Scott, thanks so much for talking with me. I know that, like I mentioned the first time, it's not your favorite subject to talk about yourself, but I, I, I certainly um, haven't gotten to know you. And as people that have listened to this podcast that know you, um, this is passionate for you because it's real for you. Yeah. I just want to say one more thing. Yeah, quick, absolutely. That it never ends mm. the work. Mm. I mean, I wrote the books. I'm the lead the ministry. I need this as much today as I ever have. Mm. I have my healing community. I keep working. It's all about growth. It's mm. all about growth. Mm. It's not a straight line. Mm. It is, it's a progression. We get progressively better if, if we do the work. But there is no maintenance. We're either growing or we're sliding backwards. Mm. And that's what I want to encourage people. It's not a one and done deal. Right. We need to be in this process. And I, and I believe looking at now, this is how God designed us to be. Mm. So we got to stay hungry for it and keep doing the work and we will be blessed and then we will be a blessing to others. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Scott. And we thank you all for listening. We hope that you have found uh, maybe your own story in there. And if you are um, in any way out there, lonely, isolated, know that you are not alone in that. Uh, it is a continuing uh, growing pandemic, but there are people out there uh, like Scott, like Sarah, and like the people that help in the small groups that are here for you, designed specifically to love on you. Well, thank you all, and we will talk to you soon. Take care. Restore Small Groups is a nonprofit based in Nashville, Tennessee. To find out more, visit us online at restoresmallgroups.org.